Welcome to a special episode of Unplugged. I am thrilled to have my dear friend, Belle Malloy, with me today. We started off as pen pals about a year ago, exchanging emails when she invited me to be on her podcast, and we've kept in touch ever since. Bella's heart, passion for adventure, and storytelling always inspire me. Originally from Australia, she and her husband, Steve, fell in love with France during a cycling holiday in 2013, and they decided to make it their home. They sold their house in Australia in 2019 and moved to Europe in 2020. In 2021, they acquired a 300-year-old fixer-upper house in France and now run a travel advisory business. Their niche is helping people enjoy a day viewing of the Tour de France live by the roadside, which is on many people's bucket list. Their years of cycling travel advising knowledge help many get the experience of a lifetime. Bonjour, Bella. Ah, bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Thank you for coming on Unplugged. I am so proud to have you on my show. When did you first discover your love for cycling and how did it evolve into your life passion? On many of my bike rides, I actually think about this. It's almost like I was I even born with a bike connected to my body, if that makes sense, in a weird sort of way. Because I feel like most of my early childhood memories involve a bicycle. I can remember when I first rode my bicycle. It was a hand-me-down from my sister. It was a BMX, a yellow one, which is interesting because I actually have a quirk of not liking the color yellow, but I love this bike. And so the color didn't matter to me even. And as a child growing up, I used to take that yellow BMX and go for big adventures, unbeknownst to my dear mum, who with her background as a Greek Italian had always restricted me to not really leave the house perimeter. We're talking like five or six years old. So my big adventures might have been three or four kilometres, so saying, you know, miles, it might have been a couple of miles, but that's a massive adventure for a little kid that's not really allowed to leave the, the bounds of the front fence. And I think I've been having, I don't think I've stopped having adventures on a bike in my life. There was a period of time as a teenager where I stopped riding a bike because in Australia we often do stop riding. We get to a stage in our teenage years where it then becomes about our education and, and different things, riding I guess just with the complexity of bicycle infrastructure or the lack thereof in Australia becomes less and less likely as we're a teenager into adulthood. And so like many people and many Australians, I rediscovered my passion for cycling as an adult on one of my first few dates with my now husband, who he himself had rediscovered cycling. I thought to myself, oh, I didn't mind riding a bike. Maybe I'll cycle again. And I don't know whether that was me reminding myself that I loved a life on two wheels or whether even at that age, 20 plus years ago, I was looking at a way of impressing my now future husband. <laughs> but I bought myself a bike. It wasn't a very expensive one. It was the most expensive one that I could afford, which as, you know, just out of university, not that much money. And I've been adventuring really ever since then. Now has transitioned that passion, I guess, over over overtook my professional career and drove me to follow a dream. 
I love that because it's so organic and it's cool that it has followed you since childhood and that it's so adorable. You thought you were going on these big adventures when you were like, you know, not far at all from your home. Anything away from the suburban street was an adventure. And, and funnily enough, we returned home earlier this year to visit family. And because we moved to Europe just before COVID hit, it was actually a few years between visits. And I remember I, when I was visiting with my mum and dad, and they still live in the family home where I grew up. And I remember sort of walking to the family home, just walking, coming back from a walk with my husband, looking down the street. And I said, you see that street? And he goes, yeah, I go, I cannot tell you how many laps up and down that street I did as a kid on my bike. Uh, that was my little personal racetrack, I guess. <laughs> oh, you obviously have it. It's a sense of adventure. And I feel like Australia, the country and the people are known for being very adventurous in spirit. What drew you then to the French Pyrenees to establish your business and then lay down roots there? It was a visit that we had just over 10 years ago. And it was what you were saying in your intro there. It was in 2013. As I mentioned Bike riding sort of been part of me since a child, you know, regained that passion for personally riding bikes as an adult, as did my husband. And we were sort of, I don't know whether it's similar with your audience there in the US, but in Australia, if you're ever seeing cycling on TV, it's generally the Tour de France, but you're not really watching it for the bike riding, you're watching it for the scenery, or at least I was. And I guess because I ride a bike, there's sort of like a casual interest in what the racing looks like as well. Fast developed into this sort of bucket list type of holiday that, wow, it would be amazing to go to this beautiful French country and see that beautiful scenery that I've been watching for years on my TV. Because at the end of the day, the Tour de France is really a massive tourism advert for France, really. <laughs> Most people watching it, again, have a casual interest in the bike racing, but are really watching it for the scenery and whether that's the, you know, the cliche sunflower fields on a cloudless blue sky day whether it's seeing an old chateau castle ruin in the distance or an abbey or beautiful rivers or these high peaks. That's what people generally are watching the tour for in the general populace. And we were very much the same. So in 2013, after saving quite a lot of vacation leave, we organised our own little bucket list holiday. It was three weeks long and we were sort of not following the Tour de France day by day, but we had certain times where we would watch a few stages and then go to these places that were famous for us from a cycling perspective to ride our bikes where the professionals ride bikes. And whilst they ride bikes at two or three times the speeds that we could, especially when the road goes uphill, one of the great things about cycling is that you can go and do this exact same thing that a professional can do. Whereas if you watch another sport, it's very unlikely that you can play on the same oval that, you know, play in the same field and do those sort of things. On that first trip, the Pyrenees was somewhere where we spent six days and we didn't know it at the time, but I guess there was something that struck my heart and my husband's heart being in these mountains, these lush green mountains that aren't as commercial as the Alps. They're not as busy as the Alps. And yes, they're not as high as the Alps, but it's just this beautiful, rugged beauty about it. We really observed because on that trip, because we did spend eight days in the Alps as well. So we were able to do a comparison between the two and we were able to observe just the, the little differences between the two different mountain ranges. And the Pyrenees just seemed more... I don't know that homey is the word. It might be more familial. It was almost like not that time had stood still. It's There's still a lot of modern things here, but you can tell that there's traditions and stuff that still take place now that have done for centuries. 
Whereas the Alps are amazing and iconic and, you know, the scenery is just jaw-droppingly beautiful, but it's very commercialised. We spent three weeks riding our bikes, realising how hard it was to go up big mountains. And then I remember vividly sitting, waiting for the long flight back to Australia, which, you know, takes a whole day of flying to get back home. And I don't know about you, Kimberly, but at the end of a holiday, it can feel a little bit glum. You've you've looked forward to something so much. You've had the best time of your life. And now you've got a 24-hour flight to get back home. I can tell you that's sort of like you're on the downward slope of the enjoyment phase of the holiday by then. And I remember my husband and I, we made a pact. We didn't know how we were going to do it, but somehow we were going to make sure that we get back to France, but we were only going to come to the Pyrenees. We chinked glasses in the departure lounge on that promise and made good on it. And I guess revisited the area a number of times. We saved a lot of our pay. We actually bought extra vacation leave from our employers to make this dream a possibility. And we kept coming back and it was just, I don't know if you have anything in your life that's held to you similar in a, in a passionate sort of way that something just keeps drawing you back. It's not even a conscious thing that you're aware of necessarily, but it's almost like there's a gravitational pull towards something. And I guess that's the Pyrenees Mountains to myself and to my husband. In 2018, we had the incredible opportunity to host 12 of our dear friends. During that trip, every single one of those friends said to us at different times, you guys have so much knowledge about this area. You have given us such an amazing week of cycling and guided riding and telling us all about these places we never knew existed. Have you ever actually thought of doing this as a living? Initially, we sort of fobbed it off like, you know, it's awesome hearing great things from friends, but friends have to tell you great things. Otherwise, they're not really your friends. We, we sort of took that on board, but I guess we, again, we returned back to Australia and both of us, I guess, had our heads turned enough by a few of those beautiful reviews and comments to what we'd done for them, that we just sort of thought, you know, we're at a stage in life where we don't have children, we don't have anything tying us down to Australia, we have this amazing opportunity to maybe see if something would work. And so over the course of six months, made the decision to sell our house, got it up for sale, sold it, gave notice to our jobs, set off for Europe. Then a few weeks later, COVID happened. We were delayed in getting our house here. And as you mentioned, it is a 300-year-old house, which we are renovating. There's lots of stories we could go there that are certainly not bike related. But we have moved away from our old professional careers and are working with our passion, I guess, to put it in another perspective. Riding bikes in these mountains is something I'm very passionate about. I get really excited helping people and helping our clients who are coming to this side of the world. I think my excitement for the area builds off that because I remind myself of what I was like when I first visited the area. And it was an all and unknown. Being here and living here now, knowing what I do and knowing that I have this amazing ability to give a lot of people who know nothing about this area so much knowledge so that they can actually make so much more of their holiday and have so many amazing experiences while they're here. I think that fills me up and energizes me as well. Well, I think it's beyond bold that you made such a dramatic move like that. It's like a leap of faith mixed with your passion. And it's incredible that sharing that passion with others and that it's so organic to you. They are taking it in and, you know, they might not have thought of it as deeply as you. And now it caught on to them as deep as you have a passion for it. I never thought when you brought up about, you know, how you had paid attention to the scenery, you just 
made me feel not guilty because I used to feel like I had to watch the Tour de France for the competitive aspect, but I enjoyed the scenery a lot. And I was like, ah, permission to be okay with the fact that I was paying attention to the scenery. We we absolutely absolutely like it is it's it's what draws the majority of people to watching it you know uh, we catch up with my mother and father in law on the on the phone here nearly every other week and during the tour you know they're watching it as well for the scenery you know they they don't really have much of an interest in the bike race itself but they're watching it for the scenery and saying oh wow have you been to this area whoa we saw this isn't it amazing oh they're coming close to you there and it's beautiful there's another thing i had never thought of that you gave me an aha moment about the fact that it's the one sport that when you watch it you could actually go do it like of course people are capable of anything right you know but with cycling, it's a tangible thing that if you have an interest and passion in it, you could go out and do it at any stage of life, which is pretty amazing. You really can. The one thing that you really notice here, especially if you're riding any of these famous areas, is you see the signs on the road, the spray paint on the road from all the fans, but you also, there's a passion from the French people, and they do. They wish you bon courage, and they say allez, allez, and they cheer you on, and I swear when you ride your bike and someone cheers you on, it gives you an extra strength and an extra power to keep the pedals turning when everything's going harder funny you mentioned Kimberly how I host a podcast and and mine again linked to my passion so of course it's about riding bikes but I always remember one of my guests that I had and they talked about the power of encouragement and how when people encourage you how it helps you pick another gear to give more than what you think you had and you certainly feel that as a cycle tourist here in France that is for sure. Ah, Paula I love that chair. Only things that I observe which blows my mind so for example I was riding down my my road here we live on a valley road you can't live anywhere in the Pyrenees it's really flat so FYI you're you're either generally riding uphill or you're riding downhill uh, or, you, or you're riding a few kilometers to get to the flatlands but I was riding down and if you can appreciate the Pyrenees are very steep mountains they're quite a rugged landscape which visually is amazing and so magnificent but it is it's hay baling season here and so there are farmers that have land which is too steep for a tractor to cut the grass and they're hand cutting it and I, I i literally mean they're cutting it with tools by hand and nothing goes to waste and it's those little amazing things where it blows your mind that that's what happens as an australian it certainly blows my mind uh, i mean i live in a 300 year old house we don't have houses that are 300 year old in australia everything is amazing from that perspective and everything is a learning opportunity as well that's wild and you have an incredible outlook you know alternatively our house is right on the street like you know you open the door and you have to look left and right before you step out because you, you step out onto the street but every now and then again you do hear the cliche typical clang 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 which is like the cowbells and it's a farmer that's moving a herd of cattle from the high mountains down the road to a field and that will never get old to me i love it <laughs> It's so far removed from modern Australia. I couldn't tell you by how much, but yeah. Your pictures are always so stunning that you post on your Instagram. And, you know, I used to be like, that's stunning, that's stunning. And then I teased you that I can't think of a better word because I've never seen someone that has such consistent, you know, volume of incredible photos. It's just unbelievable. Thank you. I guess similar to cycling photography is my passion. I often joke that 
I'm not sure whether I'm a cyclist that likes photography or I'm a photographer that rides a bike because the two of mine generally go together. And I have to say the amount of bicycle rides that I take really, which are inspired with my photography mindset of, I know it's going to be hard to get to this place from a cycling perspective, but it's going to be so worth, the reward is going to be amazing because visually it's going to be fantastic from a scenery perspective so landscape photography is very much my thing even here in the mountains it doesn't necessarily need to be a blue sky clear cloud day often some of the best photos I feel I've taken have been quite what I would call atmospheric it's just you know low-hanging cloud fog just dancing or cloud magic as I call it It, it, yeah well you have an eye for sure absolutely gorgeous photos and you do capture these settings I'll say that are truly unique and you know it's not like someone's just pointing a camera you could tell you thoughtfully we're like thinking of the composition of the layers of a sky with the backdrop with the foreground and yeah and it's interesting I always took it for granted because I didn't think that it was a skill or a talent per se I just thought well everyone's doing that and I guess similar to our cycling knowledge my photography skills are built up over years of practice but what's happened now and what I love is and having been based and living here with that photographer mindset it helps me build a repertoire of visual amazing things that people can experience here on a holiday that aren't necessarily things they need to pay for if that makes sense like just getting to here from you know the US or Australia or the you know far away places is an achievement in and of itself, especially financially for a lot of people. It's amazing speaking to our clients in our travel advisory business, just how many people are blown away that there are these amazing experiences that they can have in this country, which they don't need to pay for. They don't need to pay a VIP ticket to go and do something amazing to have an amazing experience. They, you know, the Tour de France is a great example for that. You can pay VIP tickets to go and enter a start village. You could pay VIP amounts to be in a follow car that follows the race course, or you could pay VIP tickets to go in a helicopter, which will give you a bird's eye view of the race. All well and good, but do you know what you can do for free? You can be a passionate fan on a mountainside on the road have a communal picnic with a hundred thousand other people on that day all live in a beautiful atmosphere and cheer the riders on and probably have goosebumps when they go past and have a day that you'll never forget in your memory and none of that will cost you that sort of money that's what I love about it and that's the Tour de France separately from that I think my passion and love for the landscape's mixed with my own curiosity about why things are how they are and how things originated and what the importance of town or building or something was and what these structures mean. It's all sort of slowly sunk in like a sponge into my own knowledge bank, which I love the ability to be able to share with people. Stuff that you don't get in in a tour guidebook, if that makes sense. There's some things that, for example, in the Pyrenees, it took me years of visiting to realize they even exist here. And I feel like I have the special key that gets to unlock that for people. And I love that. Oh, that's amazing. The way you stated that, having the key is very deep and meaningful way of expressing that feeling. 
life is about experiences, right? You and I totally are into that like aspect of it. And for you to provide those experiences, I would way rather be with you and do your tour and be guided by you in this kind of like awakening state and an immersive state than some fancy way of going about an experience. Yours is much, much better. Yeah, well, thank you. And and it's interesting because anecdotally, I've had people, so often, as you mentioned, we run a travel advisory service and I guess our specialist niche is really about helping people watch a stage of the Tour de France. And a lot of that knowledge has been built up by ourselves, both watching the race, but also making mistakes along the way that we didn't realise were mistakes until then. And so now, you know, we can help people avoid those. I've had clients approach me with our business saying, we're coming here, we want to watch the stage of the tour, we want to make it such an incredible experience for our family, we're happy to pay whatever we need to get it done. And, you know, I've often replied back in an email saying, look, there's definitely VIP things I could recommend to you, but what sort of experience do you want to leave? And it's one of the first things I offer in my service. So, you know, and generally people reach out via the internet, via an email, and generally what then transpires is we do like a Zoom call with them and I present possibilities. But the very first thing for me, which is so important, is starting with the end in mind. And so for that with a person's holiday, it really is you are coming to France and the at the end of your holiday, these are the memories and experiences you want to be able to reflect on. Let's fill the gaps of what that is. And then I find out, is it I want to ride a mythical coal of the Tour de France and ride, understand what it's like to ride my bike up a mountain pass? Is it I want to experience proper local culture and meet and, you know, go to the cheese farm and find out and speak with the farmer and find out how this beautiful food that they make is made to life? Is it I want to cheer the riders that I love to support by the roadside and have that magical moment that I'll, you know. And so often I start with that. And it's amazing how many times the people who have said we're happy to pay whatever have come back after that and realised actually the experiences you're talking about, we just need to understand where to be and how the timings work. And we don't need to pay hand over fist to get that. It's actually available to everyone. Again, it's why the sport of cycling is fantastic because everybody has the ability to experience it. You don't need to be a passionate cycling fan to get excited by the atmosphere. In fact, the sport of cycling, traditionally speaking, was actually a working class sport. It was just a sport for the common people. So I guess there's roots in that as well. You're so incredibly thoughtful about people's specific experiences. It's not just like, okay, I'm going to take you and this is like the thing that I've had planned out and it's, you know, like cookie cutter. I love the way you go about it. That's one of the reasons why I think you are such an incredible person because you're very thoughtful in that way. So with Seek Travel Ride and that business, and you're taking these people on the experiences and you're taking into mind, you know, like their personal wants and needs. How do you go about picking those cycle-friendly routes, the scenic tours, the length of them, all those different elements? Again, it comes with making sure to find out and ask the right questions to the the people themselves because there is no one model that's going to fit everybody. You know, there are people that come to these mountains that are amazing athletes really and could do the most difficult rides back to back to back to back for a week or two and it would be fantastic for them. 
There's people conversely who ride a bike occasionally or are a fan of the tour and they would struggle up a lot of these climbs. And so to say, come here and, and, and give you a, a route that is packed with things that are beyond their physical ability is not a good move because they're not going to leave their holiday with that amazing experience that we talked about before. What what experience do you want to have? And so it really is about finding out and having the right conversations with the people up front. What do you want to do? How much riding do you do at the moment? Are you a fan? Are you an enthusiast? Are you just here because you want to see beautiful mountains? Do you actually even want to ride a bike? There's a lot of people that are coming here just because they want to watch the race, but they don't ride a bike. And they haven't for a while they might be certainly interested and i often say anecdotally the roads for cycling in the pyrenees are amazing and blow your mind and i think you know i would put money on the fact that they're some of the best road that you would have anywhere in the world but and maybe this is my photographer mindset i also believe that where the tarmac ends and the hiking trails begin is where the true magic of the pyrenees are unveiled to everyone we have some of the most amazing hiking trails here that a bike doesn't go to, that you only go to on foot and you have these amazing landscapes there. So, you know, you don't need to be a cyclist to come to this area. It's also being upfront and honest with people to let them know how hard some of the riding is here. And the great thing though, Kimberly, is we live in a fantastic age of cycling where we have amazing things called e-bikes, electric bikes, which have now facilitated people of every level being able to actually enjoy an endeavour that would have been beyond them physically otherwise. And I remember, and I say this as someone that I reflect back to my first experience of visualising someone on an e-bike. I'm not ashamed to say it was in Italy. It was in the Alps there. It was in 2016. I was suffering very hard on a very, very steep climb. It took all of my strength to keep the pedals turning up this mountain. I knew I would get to the top, but let's just say for an hour and a half, my heart rate was at max and I was working for it. And I always remember there was a man in Italian screaming some Italian profanities and I was thinking, what's going on? And then all of a sudden this lady went and it was a lady on an e-bike. She was having the time of her life. We were sweating away like no tomorrow and she was she was enjoying herself on this e-bike. In fact, she was stopping, she was taking photos, she was stopping to take a jacket off and on. And and, and we were like this beautiful luxury to be able to do that because we were on terrain where sometimes you stop on something so steep, taking off again can be difficult. So you have that conversation with your head. And I remember thinking stupidly at the time, and I'm, I say this now, but I, I'm slightly ashamed of myself that I had this mindset back then. And it's only six, seven years ago. I remember thinking, that's not fair. They haven't earned that summit. How dare they get to this place? You know, you should be physically doing this yourself. And what a stupid mindset and a closed mindset and ignorant mindset that was of me. Because what I see now is I live in a place where e-bikes are everywhere. You would nearly see more e-bikes generally day to day than the normal bikes sometimes. I have lovely neighbours who would not be riding a bike were it not for an e-bike. I have clients who have not had the physical ability to ride with friends but now are able to ride with friends because they have the assistance of an e-bike. I have friends of my own who one person is outdoors-minded and, and rides occasionally but not enough to do a, you know, a week-long cycle tour. Now they hire an e-bike and they're able to do that. We live in a world where as long as you have the right conversations with people, and understand their physical ability, we're able to put these roots together. You can enjoy a fantastic week in the Pyrenees that doesn't have to go up a mountain climb, 
you will have to have the ability to put up with some rolling terrain, but also you may want to see the climbs of the Tour de France. You may want a week of beautiful routes through quintessential French villages and stopping at the French markets in, in town to town and stopping at some of the beautiful thermal spas and enjoying some of the beautiful countryside vistas. If we have the conversations up front, we're able to build a route that's right for you that's going to tick your experience box at the end of your vacation. What do you want to reflect back on and say, I had this type of experience? And if I understand the answer to that question, I'm fairly confident now with the knowledge that I've built up about the area that I can put something together for people that will tick those boxes for them. Thank you for being so honest about how you had felt about the e-bikes. And I feel the same way, like you made me realize that it, it's not a big deal, I guess, as long as you're not competing and, it, you know, in, in some kind of formal competition where it's e-bikes against physical body pedaling, then what's the big deal? Who cares? <laughs> Life is short. Do, the, do you the way you got to do you. Yeah, exactly. There's an Australian saying that, you know, and it's saying, you know, we're, we're not racing for sheep stations here which is you know we're not we're not in a competition for this for this massive amazing prize and i often say that with some of my friends like you know we're here as a group of people to ride bikes some of us can ride bikes really fast uphill some of us can't some can ride bikes really fast downhill some of us can't that's actually a big consideration when you're riding in the mountains is what goes up has to come down and a lot of people haven't had the benefit of experience of understanding what it's like to descend down a mountain pass and, you know, ride a mountain that takes two hours to go up will take half an hour to ride down. Some people are grinning from ear to ear because that's the whole reason to go up the mountain is to be able to go down the other side, right? Some people, that's not the case for them. And we're not racing for sheep stations. Everyone's here to have their own amazing experience. And it is what it is. If you need it with a motor on a bike, fine. If you don't, great, but let's not judge each other for how we have them. Well, I like learning that new expression. That's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I, um, you just made me realize too. So, okay, before you take someone on a tour, do you have to go through some, like, let's say baseline rules, you know, even though they might come to you with riding experience, the terrain you know better than anyone as their guide. So... Do you kind of have to warn them about anything or give them some tips, you know, how to approach the tour? So I always try and put myself in my client's shoes. And it's easy enough to me to do because I've been there before. My first trip here 10 years ago. Now, I was and still am a very proficient cyclist. So I know how to ride a bike. I know how to change gears. I know how to use the brakes. But there are some things that are different. So, for example, as an Australian, coming to France to ride a bicycle, the French ride on the other side of the road to the Australians, you know, and it's on the same side of the road. It's totally different. Coming from the US to France, you don't have to worry about that complexity. But there are certainly road rules that are a little bit different in France. There's a rule called priority to the right, which is, I don't know if you've heard of it before, but pretty much it means you may be on a main road, but if there's a road that comes in from the right and it might seem like an insignificant side road, it would quite well be that road is allowed. If traffic comes there, you should be giving way to it. And so as a cyclist, it's really important to know those sort of things as well. The other thing that we learnt here as well is that in Australia, and I believe this is a case in the UK and England as well, the brakes for the left side or the left hand and the right hand brakes do different things. So for example, in Australia, my front 
brake that I would put is on my right hand and my rear brake is operated by my left hand. In the US and in Europe, it's the other way around. <laughs> so if people are hiring a bike, it's really important to know that because as I mentioned, braking is a big deal. So you want people to know which brakes do what, especially on their hire bikes, especially if it's going to be totally different to what they're used to. The biggest thing to remind people of is it's the same principles of safety. I guess a little bit different here is it's not common that cyclists would ride side by side on a road necessarily. So, you know, often it's one in front of the other. There's certain times where a bike lane is mandatory to use. There's certain times where it's not. It's those little things. It's also just being observant of road rules and other road users around you too. That's the main thing. Making sure that people aren't cycling beyond their own ability and are always cycling safely. That's the most important thing for sure. Well, I agree. And the the brakes um, situation is definitely an important one because you don't want to flip over (laughs) because you press the wrong brake. Yeah. Personally, I I generally use both of them at equally the same amount. But I know certainly, and here's a little fact for you, your front brake is actually what gives you the most stopping power. You don't want to only apply a front brake. Yeah. So it's important to know which brake lever is operating that, obviously. And if it's going to be different to what you're used to because you're hiring and it, it, that you don't want that to take you by surprise. Well, given all the tours that you've been on yourself and taken people on and just adventures in general, and you're trying to keep, you know, obviously you're packing to a minimum of what you have on you for, you know, a, a light, enjoyable experience. What's like one essential item that you personally never go without on any of your rides? Okay, I'm going to go past what I observe as being the obvious, which is in our day and age, it's like your phone. Also, I'm going past the obvious, which is like a means to change a flat tire, which means a bike pump and a spare tube and maybe a puncture repair kit. So I'm going to be taking it as a given that I have those. I have two responses to this. The first one might seem obvious, but I always have my emergency food snacks. (laughs) sometimes if things are going to go downhill for me on a bike, it's generally because I'm what I would claim as hangry or hungry. And I need emergency food to get me through that. Often the worst moment you can have on a bike is purely down to just depleted energy. It could be something, and actually FYI, here in France, it's quite normal for places to be closed for a couple of hours during the middle of the day, which is right around lunchtime, where you might need food. And you may find that the little great village, which looks so picturesque from a camera's point of view, is not so nice to you from a stomach food point of view and an energy point of view. So I always think emergency food. I like it. I'm with you. In fact, I think it's a little tangent, but I will say this. So when we moved to France, my husband and I, we arrived from the ferry from Ireland and we arrived at the very top of France, Cherbourg, and we rode all the way as a cycle tour. We sort of moved house by bike, if that makes sense. And we rode all the way down to here to the Pyrenees, right into the south of France. And during that trip, I bought myself an emergency Nutella. Like it's so little. And I, it was a break in case of emergency and I didn't need to break it. And now it sits on my, it's in my little pantry as a little reminder of that tour. But I always, always have to take emergency food. And whether it's like some lollies, whether it's some nuts or something, emergency food. The other one that I'm going to add in there as my extra, it's it's not actually something physical. It's curiosity. Always ride with curiosity and be curious with your bike rides. What I mean by 
by that is you can ride the same route all the time, but if you're curious, you'll notice and observe things that you otherwise wouldn't. Always be curious. That, that would be my other thing. Both of those are amazing. I love it. I like that they're two different types of things too. So thank you for that. You know, a bonus. Actually, I'm going to flip it because I am a podcaster and so I'm used to asking the questions, Kimberly. If I was to ask you, what do you think is one of the most important things that you should take on a bike ride or a bike adventure? What would your answer be? Oh, gosh. Okay. That's a good one. Because like you, I want to discard the obvious right from the start. Not a um, not a phone and not like any kind of like tire mechanism for flat fixes. I think it would be carrying like a, a small size garbage bag because it has so much versatility. That or a carabiner clip, I think, are my two versatile must-haves. I like that. I like that. And actually, maybe this is related to me and my obsession with food. Have you picked up on it yet? But often I won't leave the house with a small sort of, you know, those reusable bags, but they're, they're really small and lightweight and they sort of fold into themselves. It's often one of those will go in my, in my bag purely because I live in France and I ride past amazing boulangeries, French bakeries. And how could I ever pass up the opportunity to buy, you know, something, <laughs> whether it's a baguette or a croissant or as we call them in the, in the south of France, pain au chocolat or a chocolate croissant. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastry fiend. So yeah, fueled by pastry, motivated by curiosity. I am aware of those um, like reusable bags. And I think that is also a genius item to have on you for those carb occasions that you're not expecting to come up. Oh, definitely. Uh, and, and we've all had them before. Anecdotally, my lit most energy depleted moments on a bike, and I know it sounds bizarre and Often I wonder, is this a mental thing? But it's definitely a physical thing. Are actually not when I'm cycling in mountainous terrain. My most energy depleted days on a bike have been we've been when I've been riding constantly flat terrain. And it can be like a converted old railway line bicycle path or somewhere flat. It can it's always, always deadpan flat. And I've always just run out of energy and just had my lowest moments. Uh, this is coming from someone who I'm not ashamed to say I do quite big rides. I, I ride a significant amount of mountains. So it's always been bizarre that that's happened to me. That's so wild. I wonder if it's because of the monotony. Because with the hills, you're challenged visually and physically. Whereas the flat, it's not really the physical challenge to you probably that you're used to. So it's the monotony aspect adds like an element to it. I don't know. I definitely think it has something to do with that. And I think mentally possibly also physically like the flat is don't get me wrong it's not as hard as going up a really steep mountain especially not the pyrenees mountains which are quite steep and irregular in their gradient but i think what's different is if the minute you stop pedaling on the flat your bike slows down and it will come to a stop if you don't keep pedaling so you don't actually have the resting of a downhill so i wonder whether that comes into it as well and and you're also in a fixed position I think you're onto something visually, though. I've often questioned mentally whether it's that. And you know what, Kimberly? Maybe I need to put the emergency Nutella in my bag again, just in case. <laughs> well, that makes sense. The points you made too, though, about it. So. Yeah. 
So when you're taking people like on the tours, what are some things, you know, I had the excitement to see you on television in France, which was so cool. They featured you as part of the festivities. Yes, for the Tour de France farms. Yes, for the women's tour de France. Actually, can I just say, this is such a tangent and I hope you don't mind me going on this tangent, but so what Kimberly's referring to is we went the women's tour de France, the tour de France farm which is so brilliant. It's so fantastic that we finally live in a world that's come to modern times and strong female athletes are showing just what can be done and that we can ride these mountain passes as well. And what is even better is the the support from the crowds in France and globally is there for it. People want to see this. And we were there on the roadside on the Col de Tourmalet, which is the most famous Pyrenees mountain and possibly the most famous mountain in Paris, cycling-wise in France. In fact, it's been used the most times. I think it's 88 times in the men's Tour de France it's been in there in all the editions. So it's the most often historical pass used. And we were there to watch the women finish on the summit of the Tourmalet. We were just under two kilometres to go in thick, heavy fog fog that you couldn't see more than five meters ahead of you and I was there with my husband we had our Australia flags we had a boxing kangaroo flag I had an inflatable boxing kangaroo and the crowds were so amazing I don't know if viewers have ever watched crowds of the Tour de France and they're right on the roadside and it's like the riders have to ride through a tunnel of fans but while we were waiting for the riders there was what was called the the party corner and we were right near it and I thought I'm going to ride through this and I took a video with and there were media and I ended up being on national TV along with every, a lot of other people in that area. I didn't know that I was on TV at the time and I got this random message by a French person on Instagram and they said, I saw you, you're on, on TV, you're on this show, it was you. And I was like, wow. And then I sort of went back to him and I said, sorry, how do you know me? And he goes, well, a year and a half ago, you p- took a beautiful photo of this landscape and in that photo is my family home and my mother and father and grandparents' home and I've always followed you since that photo and so I know you and I know what you and, – and I just was like so touched. So because I randomly took a photo, this person recognised their home, they followed me and because they followed me a year and a half later, they saw me on national TV and got in touch was just so sorry that's a massive tangent but I loved it I since then have actually sent them the original photos that I've taken and a few extras which have their house in it but anyway I think your question was about the tour sorry Kimberly I I totally went off no no that was so sweet I love that share it's just one of those things that I love hearing about in life where it was this random thing where people connected and you never know the impact you're having on someone that's just oh I love it (laughs) yeah like I've taken this photo and beautiful rolling landscape with snow-peaked mountains in the background and actually anecdotally like the house which is their family's house I always used to joke to my husband saying I love the view I love that house there it's so beautiful so I love that it actually means something special to someone and that you know my photo is now on their wall like that's really cool I love that a lot what are some like tips or things that people have to look out for when they do the same thing as you, where they want to be immersed in a situation like a celebration like Tour de France? But we've all seen many times how it could go really wrong because people are not paying attention and they like step out in front of, you know, a moving crowd of cyclists or. Yeah, I think 
there's a few things which I've observed. And one of them is the Tour de France, it's massive. And you need to be aware of that when you want to visit it because it's not something that you can just go, oh, it's coming and I'm going to be at that particular spot and I'm going to arrive there a few hours before or an hour before the race does and I'm going to see the tour because you're not. <laughs> I was just going to put that out there because you're not the only person in France that's thinking that they want to see the tour and they want to see it at that beautiful, most picturesque spot. It is huge. It is a massive big deal. And like I mentioned earlier, you're you're going if you want to watch the Tour de France, for example, on a mountain stage, you need to be prepared to be on the mountainside for hours. So, for example, the Tour de France farms that we were talking about that we watched, that final stage, we arrived at our spot at about 12:30, which doesn't sound like it's that early in the day. And it wasn't, mind you, we had to climb the Col de Tourmalet to get there. So we did leave our house fairly early to be instated. The actual riders did not ride past us until 7 p.m. at night. Wow. So this is how many hours you are roadside to be in a spot. You know, it's not something that is insignificant. And the other thing you need to factor in is how you're going to get back from that spot, back to where you need to be, back to your hotel, back to your accommodation, back to your car, back to your house, back to wherever. Because you once the riders go, you've got to wait till the last rider's gone, you've got to wait till the convoy's gone, and you've got to wait until the French police, the gendarmes, allow you to proceed up or down the road that has been closed. So road closures are a major deal and you need to factor them in. It's also about how to access the area. And the Tour de France farm is equally the same. It, it, they may as well be one and the same event. Roads do get closed. It means access to certain areas where the route's going to be is going to be problematic. So you need to fig figure out how you're going to navigate there. Often if people want to watch a mountain top finish or, or, or watch via the mountain stages, what I'll often advise them to do is we'll have that conversation early enough to make sure that they're staying close by. And actually the best way to get to a Tour de France viewing spot is to ride there or walk. If you can ride a bike or an e-bike, you're going to get to places a lot higher up a lot easier. Otherwise, you're in for a very, very long walk. And you're also going to be able to get off the mountain a lot quicker as well. Cars are problematic because you won't be able to access where you want to and you'll you'll be restricted to where your road closures are and where you can access on foot. So one of my biggest advice for a lot of people is what do you want to see? You're either going to be staying on the mountain or you're going to be hiring a bike or you're going to be walking, but you're certainly not going to be driving to your two at a stage viewing spot. And be prepared for a really long day, like that is your day. But often this is the point of a lot of these people's holidays as well. This is the bucket list experience. So the bucket list experience doesn't just happen in five minutes. It may be that this whole day of your holiday is going to be experiencing the Tour de France. Well, the next thing to remember then is if you're on the roadside all day, make sure you've got plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of sunscreen because uh, it's summer and so it's going to be hot. You're going to need to reapply, bring a hat, Bring comfortable shoes if you're cycling so you can get out of your cycling shoes and, and, you know, put a pair of sliders or something on so that you're comfortable. Be prepared for cold weather on a mountain. So we arrived on the Tourmalet for the Tour de France farm in beautiful, clear blue sky. And I actually, as the photographer in me, of course, I took a time lapse, which happened from 2 to 2.30, and it just filmed the whole of the white fog and cloud rolling in. So we went from clear blue sky to immense fog which was quite atmospheric but obviously then for hours later so that happened at 2 30 remember the riders weren't coming past till seven it was really cold then so our hair was drenched our skin was cold we needed extra clothes so that's something to be aware of as well 
The other thing, and you mentioned it, is the crowds are huge. It's like a communal roadside picnic. Everybody is having lots of fun. This idea that everyone who's having fun is perhaps being rowdy and obnoxious and maybe there's a few drunk people and it's really dangerous for riders, I think, unfortunately, when you consider the millions and millions of people who watch a stage of the Tour de France, there's a couple of small incidences which are really made famous by media, which makes it seem that everyone is causing a problem and that's not the case. But to your point, you really do need to be aware that the riders ride fast. You need to pay attention to them and not your smartphone taking the photo. You know, enjoy the atmosphere and always keep your eye on where the riders are because not only are they fast, but they use all the road that's available to them. So if you're standing on the side of the road and you think, oh, if I step out one metre, that's heaps of room for them, they will be flying around a corner coming millimetres from you. And if you touch them, that could be a bad accident. So always keep your focus when the riders are coming and be focused on the actual race itself. That's what you're there for. So enjoy that moment. Don't miss it behind your phone screen. Like be immersed in it. Be part of that atmosphere that people are watching. And I know this sounds a bit silly, but I am going to put it as a top tip only because it's ultimately how I ended up on TV. Dress up or have a flag or or try and have something different. Be near a particular spot. Like if, if you have a mind for you've got relatives watching on TV, I can guarantee you if you dress up in like, I joke that next year maybe I'll dress up in like a kangaroo costume. I can guarantee you I'll be on TV if I do that. I'm going to remind you and look for it. Oh, I've already Googled like blow up kangaroo costume or koala costume or something like that. <laughs> but anyway, but no, if you if you dress up, you, you'll be on TV. But just don't put the riders in danger. Be part of that atmosphere. And I guess go to your Tour de France stage viewing with the mindset, that's what you're doing all day, but it's going to be fantastic and have a great picnic about it. Again, similar to my most cherished item on the bike, bring food, don't go hungry by the roadside waiting for the tour to come past. <laughs> I do see that food as the consistent element throughout all these things <laughs> to the point you made. Uh, we, we, we. <laughs> I think those are all excellent, excellent tips. So, okay, because you have done it so many times though, right? And what makes it a thrill for you? You're going on these tours, you've taken the same routes, let's say, and you've seen like the same things. So what keeps it thrilling for you? I think it's always grounding myself in that experience. In a way, it's similar to what I was saying at the start, Kimberly. I've learned so much about the area and I'm passionate about passing this knowledge on. It gives me that inner energy and excitement for my clients in that I'm excited for them about what they're going to experience. So for example, some of my clients, I might put a one-week package. I know where they're going to stay. I'll tell them, these are the activities you should look to do. I know that you love food. Make sure that on Tuesday morning, the markets are on. These markets have been running since 1292. They're amazing produce markets and go and immerse yourself in that food culture. Because France is definitely, if it's one thing I've learned, especially the village markets, the marché, the French go to them. That's where they buy their produce. It's where the producers are. And it's a beautiful experience. Again, it's a free experience until you're paying for something, but you're getting something back. But it's, it, you know, you don't need a VIP front row seat to get this experience, but it's a genuine holiday experience. I guess for me, what keeps it fresh is I have that energizing feeling of passing on this knowledge to people, knowing that it's going to set them up for a positive 
moment and maybe an experience that they'll reflect back on and, and, and talk about as well. I guess also, and it comes back to my answer before, I'm a curious person. I have curiosity. So I still cycle routes that I may have done a hundred times, but then every now and then I see a road that goes somewhere that I haven't cycled. So I go down it and then I discover something. And, you know, I cannot recount enough times how much that curiosity has informed further knowledge to pass on to people. And there's always an opportunity to make things fresh. I know a lot of people in the cycling world don't like what we would deem out and back routes. So riding to a point and then riding directly back. So there's a lot of people that would like a circuitous loop, like a riding loop. So they're not seeing the same things twice. My counter to that has always been, and don't get me wrong, I understand a loop and I understand a point to point ride and I can understand not wanting to go back on the same road. But your perspective is so different on the direction that you travel. And what you see riding in one direction is so totally, totally different than what you see in another direction. In the Pyrenees, we also have changing weather conditions. And, you know, we go, like I said, we go from a blue sky day to atmospheric mountain and there can be low hanging cloud. Then you go, are there mountains at all? Or you could be riding up the mountain and then all of a sudden break through the crowd and look down on a sea of clouds. That is such an amazing experience. And so every time I've ridden a road, there's always been something different for me, which means that when I have them with with people that are, that are riding them for the first time, I have the benefit of being able to impart some extra little bit of information. In a way, looking at maximising the experience of people who've gotten in touch, it comes back to that initial fact finding that I do with them at the very start because that allows me to find out their passion. In this podcast, you've asked me questions and we've ascertained through your questions that I love food. It's no different to, for me to ask someone's questions and then maybe I find out that they really love Art Deco architecture and so then I would recommend that they go to a particular village where they're going to see amazing Art Deco stuff. The more you know about someone, the more you can advise them greatly and I guess my own curiosity means that things don't actually get old for me, if that makes sense. Like It's not all same-same. I'm always looking for something different and if you observe with that mindset, you find things that are different to see. Well, that's an incredible mindset to have. Curiosity, I think, fuels so many things in life. And, you know, it's beneficial to you and your clients that you have such a curiosity about you. So you shared some very special stories. Just out of curiosity. Oh, there you go. See, I didn't even mean to say that. It's rubbing off. That's good. I'm telling you. You're very influential. You know, I cannot wait. I'm so beyond wanting to go on a cycling excursion with you because just because I adore you as a human and then also because you're so skilled and thoughtful with the trips you put together. But what is the greatest lesson that you have learned either on a solo ride or while leading a tour? I think... I don't want to sound same-samey and say curiosity, but definitely touring with a curious mindset is definitely one thing. I think the other thing is don't overplan. Allow for flexibility. That's probably the most important thing. You can be having a great day, be flexible on that day that it can allow you to do different things. You can be having a great day and then the weather comes in. And if you're not flexible, you can't deal with that. 
you can be on a holiday and have a experience that is totally cannot be planned because it's with a local that's just met you and they want to talk to you because they see you're traveling with a bike and then they want to recommend you go down uh, have a side excursion that you didn't know and if you don't have flexibility you can't do that so i think always 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 allow flexibility with what you're doing the other thing, and I guess this is on a little bit different in terms of if you're on a bicycle tour. So say you're, you're taking, you've, you've packed panniers or bike packing bags on your bike and you're doing a point to point trip. And I, I'll get asked this quite a lot by people is how far should I ride each day? And the biggest tip I would say to someone is don't plan a distance. Always plan your days being on how many hours do I want to be riding my bike? Because you can then factor in the terrain you're on. And you can think, well, I want to ride for, say, you're on a cycle tour and this person is comfortable riding five hours a day. I can tell you now, five hours a day on a flat terrain is a far longer distance than five hours a day here in the Pyrenees Mountains, where it can take you upwards of two hours to just ride 20 kilometres or even more than that. Plan your distance by the time you want to spend riding. Don't plan a day by a defined distance because... Again, that doesn't allow for flexibility. It doesn't then allow for if the weather comes bad and it's taken you longer to get somewhere, it also can lead you to that, I've run out of energy, I don't have enough food state because you thought that you, you needed to go further than you physically really wanted to. Flexibility and also planning your days by time riding as opposed to a defined distance. That's so important. Swallow your pride as well if you're coming to ride big mountains for the first time. And for a lot of people in various places around the world, you don't have access to mountains that last hours to ride up. And so it, it is a very different proposition. It's a physical challenge and a lot of and many people will be able to do it and you'll be so thrilled with yourself and energised when you get to the mountain summit. Don't put too much pressure on yourself in in expectations of how fast you should ride something. If it's one thing I've learned, it's that it doesn't matter how great my fitness is, there will always, always, always be somebody who will always be faster than me on a bike. And that's great. They're having their great day and they're doing great for themselves, but I don't need to put myself against them. I also don't need to look back on someone who's not as fast as me and think less of them either. So we're not racing for sheep stations. We're here to enjoy ourselves. Stop and look at the view, be flexible, allow flexibility in your day. How much time do you physically want to be spent riding? And then allow for the terrain for shorter days from, you know, for, for, uh, accordingly to that. Well, your attitude is absolutely incredible. And those are all excellent points and lessons shared. I cannot thank you enough for the time that you've taken today to, you know, connect with the unplugged listeners and all the cool and insightful things that you've passed along. Thank you, Bella, for sharing your compelling journey and insights into the world of cycling adventures. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You are just such a bold and beautiful soul. I adore you to listen to Bella's podcast and to learn more about her and her husband's amazing cycling advisory services, visit their IG page at Seek Travel Ride and their website, www.seektravelride.com. These details are also in the Gal on the Go Unplugged show notes. Bella, 
You're amazing. Oh, merci beaucoup. Uh, it's been so much fun, Kimberly. It really has. It's just like catching up with a great friend. So for me, avec plaisir. And to my listeners, I'm not going to say it in French, but remember, be curious, be kind, and be bold.